Matthew chapter 28, and I am going to read verses 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This, of course, has to do with the resurrection of the Lord and some of his final remarks that he made to his disciples. Because of the power and authority that he has, he's able to tell his disciples in verse 19 to go to all the nations and teach them. So he wanted them to teach the people in the different nations what they had learned directly from him. Jesus never left the confines of Palestine, but he did want the message of the kingdom of heaven to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he said all nations, it meant every ethnic group, every tribe, all the various peoples, they need to hear the message and the story of Jesus. Of course, that great commission has never been rescinded. Here we are now in the 21st century with more than 200 nations on this earth. And we've got, oh, I don't know, thousands of languages that need the Bible to be translated into it. And we have a lot of people that haven't heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are folks who still read these verses and come to believe that they should be part of the group who take the message of Jesus to the nations of the world. And as the Lord says in the final sentence of verse 20, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world or end of the age. So people who go and share the gospel need to know that they're not going alone, that Jesus is with them. Jesus is helping them. And I suppose if people didn't believe that the Lord was with them to help them, what would be the point of going? This is why missionaries pack their bags and go to different parts of the earth to live For decades, this is why there are so many children that have been raised on the mission field. They're American citizens, but they've never lived in America. They've only come home to visit. This is why we have people who do short-term mission trips, whether they're getting on a ship to work as a nurse or as a dentist or whatever. They're doing work in construction. It's all because they have heard about this. This is why people go around the world who may do nothing more than pass out tracks or just go to try to be of any assistance they can to any particular group. They read these words, these words, and they realize the nations need to hear it. Of course, there are people who say, why don't you just leave people alone and just let them believe what they want to believe? Because Jesus told us not to leave them alone, but to go and teach them to observe the very principles that he taught the disciples. So this is why I go, at least, and I'm sure this is why thousands of other people go. In all the different places I have gone, I'm always intrigued by new customs and cultures and new ideas and the the new things that God does when we get there, the faces that we meet, because the body of Christ is beautiful all over the earth. You always meet new people And I'm excited about what they have to share regarding their own testimonies. So I was invited to go on this trip a number of months ago. And Kazakhstan is a very interesting place, a very exotic place. I think flying there, the first thing that struck me on the airplane from Germany to Kazakhstan was 
how, how uh, empty the plane was because uh, there's not a whole lot of people trying to go there. And when I say there are not a lot of Americans trying to get there, I, that's exactly what I mean. It's the only country in my life that I've ever gone through customs and got my bag in less than 13 minutes. There was no visa needed at all. I mean, I got off the plane with a handful of people. There were a couple of people there. They walked up, looked at my passport, didn't ask a single question, stamped it. I walked through, grabbed my bag, and then my folks were out there waiting to pick me up. We drove from the airport, about a 35-minute drive to where I was staying, and the, the, the city, even at night, it was lit up, a lot of people. I was impressed. It was like driving through Lincoln. It wasn't like going back into a third world country or developing nation. It, they, they had everything from McDonald's to KFC and a number of the other franchises that we have there. Went to a, even a big mall one time and couldn't believe how many jewelry stores I saw in there. Now, of course, the average Kazakh person can't afford anything in there, but they all go there just to sit around and talk to one another. And so the stores are empty. But all the cheers are filled with thousands of people sitting there conversing as they're, you know, drinking the tea that they brought from home. So it was it was an interesting drive going to the house that that evening. I went to sleep and I was doing this for the International Church of the Four Square Gospel, a denomination founded by Amy Simple McPherson way back 100 years ago or so. But that denomination had spent $150,000 to buy this compound with a big, huge 12-foot wall around it. And they were using that as a missionary training center to send people out into these Muslim territories to establish churches. So one side of it was for the school, and it had a dormitory with all of these different bedrooms. The other side is where I was at with my friend Jim. They've got several bedrooms. And then up top, there's a whole another floor where the host family lived with their kids. The, the next day when I, I got up, we had, uh, had a world prayer conference. And they had all of the leaders from Central Asia there. So those were the leaders from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, and then Kazakhstan, where I was. And I heard all of these, these leaders giving one testimony after another of what it was like being in a predominantly Muslim area and trying to preach the gospel and establish churches. And these folks were faithful. They had people that walked eight miles, 10 miles or so just to come to church in a home church. And you couldn't let the home church become too big or you draw attention to yourself, some kind of persecution. They might even burn your house down or even blow it up. But there certainly were stories of people who lost their lives. The, the final night of that conference, there was a gentleman, I think his name was Pavel, and he was the head of the full gospel union for all of the country of Russia. He's a personal friend of Putin, and they said that whenever there's something that happens in that nation, in Russia, when they have to have a Russian Orthodox priest or a Catholic priest or somebody, they always have this Pentecostal guy who's on there also, and he's over hundreds of churches. Well, his grandfather was imprisoned and lost his life because of what he believed, going all the way back to the days of Lenin. And this man and all of those churches had been underground until communism fell. 
And once it collapsed, they were all able to come up above ground. The gentleman who was hosting the church, a guy named Yuri, that church seats over 600 people. And his father also was imprisoned for his faith. And he told me sitting in his office while we were drinking tea that when communism was still intact, uh, everything was secretive. They could never meet in the same place on the same day at the same time. They had the very the places that they met. But he said once communism failed, then they were able to go right out into the streets and hold open air meetings. But that only lasted for a season. Because once communism failed and they had the struggle for power, they ended up with several dictators who then were suppressing the Christians again. And, and Islam being the predominant religion in that area, it came to the place where the Christians couldn't express themselves the way that they wanted. But in the churches, they can preach the gospel freely. They can say what they want without any fear of any problem or reprisal at all. So we had some wonderful, wonderful services there. It was during that conference that God really touched my heart to, to, to try to help these folks. And of course, if, if you ever want God to, to, to change your heart about anybody, just go see something in person. You know, it's kind of like the story of Nehemiah. He goes out in the middle of the night, rides around through Jerusalem with a few men. And as he gets a vision of everything that's wrong, the burden on his heart from the Lord causes him to create a strategy to try to rebuild the walls. And most people realize that if you can get someone out of their country into another country to see what you're doing, then God can probably touch your heart to want to be a blessing to them. Well, what happened to me, we were in worship and they had all of these dancers, you know, the Kazakh people like these bright, brilliant colors. So these these ladies were up there with these beautiful blue dresses on. And as the praise and worship was going, they were doing these little dances, Asian dances. And they had one guy who was kind of doing a little mime or something like that and telling folks all of this. And I had an earpiece in with somebody translating into English for me. But I had my hands up, my eyes closed and I saw a vision just looked to me like I had a map of Central Asia and uh, the, just looked like the ground started moving in the, almost like in the, the outline or shape of a, of a snake up underneath the soil there. And, and I'm looking at that is going through all these different countries there in Central Asia. And then it looked like that that snake tried to lift its head up above that soil. And then I saw somebody appeared that just started jumping up and down on it. And that one person became like a hundred, jumping up and down on it. A hundred became a thousand or so. And until pretty soon you couldn't see the snake at all, just a bunch of people jumping up and down, shouting and praising God. And then I realized with that going on that God planned on multiplying the Christians in that region. And so he touched my heart to help this one gentleman because uh, he's got over 130 or so home churches that stretch from China across Mongolia all the way going throughout Central Asia. In fact, as I'm telling you this right now, he's in Mongolia and he's working with some of those churches. But Pastor Thomas, who's the national director for the Foursquare Church, he was a professional rock and roll singer. Could you ever imagine there would be such a thing in a Muslim country under communism? He's a rock and roll singer. And he told me he was very good at playing music, but he said Russian people just really weren't into rock and roll. 
So he said he, he and his band were probably the only rock and roll band to play across the nation and go broke while they were doing it. And, and he told me that, that he, he ended up one day getting into an argument with a policeman out in the street. And the policeman accused him of disrespect. And under communism, all a policeman had to do was make an accusation and you could be arrested and taken away. So he told me they put him in jail. He never got a phone call. Nobody knew where he was at. He was in there praying. And he said he was a, he was an atheist because he said he was raised that way. He said even though his grandparents were Muslim and these folks were Caucasian, he said they were Muslim. But he didn't know anything about God. But in that prison, he just essentially said, Lord, if you're real, could you please help me out of this? And he said after about six months of that whole process, and having to go for interviews, back to jail, house arrest, interviews, back to jail. Finally, God opened up a door and they dropped all the charges against him. And he went to a house church, ended up giving his heart to the Lord and ended up uh, becoming the pastor of the church where I was. Well, the, the missionary training center that I was teaching in for hours each day was unique in that it's the first missionary training center in that region of the world for that denomination. So there were about 10 or 11 students that I had that come from all these different places in Kazakhstan, and they were there just to learn about how to reach the, the different people there. And since I had some, some, uh, some experience planting churches and Bible studies in Muslim areas, they wanted me to teach them on how to do that. So I was explaining to them how to establish the relationship, the kind of questions to ask to get a Muslim to engage you in conversation, the kind of questions to ask them to show the kind of interest in what they did over the weekend that might gain their trust. And then the strategies of how to lead them into a conversation about Jesus Christ without you ever betraying who the leaders of the underground church is and then how to get them into homes where you can minister to them and uh, with family members, sometimes with a dinner, sometimes with a coffee break and just trying to get them into a relationship with the king. Now, many of them didn't know anything about Islam, even though they had been raised there. So I spent six hours one day just giving them a survey course on the origins of Islam. They had no idea about many of the traditions of uh, Muhammad. And so I was telling them about uh, some of the, the ladies that they'll come in contact with, that it's likely that many of them are physically abused because that's part of Islamic tradition. And if, you know, if a wife doesn't act right, then husband's able to put his hand physically on the wife and there's nothing they can do about that. It's just just a way of life. I remember when Tiffany and I went to Turkey and Tiff was at a ladies Bible study. And that was one of the situations, I think, with a lady from South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. She was married to a Muslim man. And when she complained to her mother-in-law about her husband hitting on her, I think the mother-in-law said something to the effect of, well, honey, get used to it. That's just the way this is around here. Well, of course, if you're from a Western nation, that's not something you can get used to. But I was explaining to them that you can reach a lot of wounded Muslim women and bring them into Christ if you pay attention in your conversation to what they're saying about their husband. So there's a whole strategy attached to that in trying to lead people to Christ who don't know God. 
But one uh, lady who was in that school, because I asked everybody, give me your testimony as we got started. And one lady of Asian background had been raised a Muslim while her mother was dying. She said she went to sleep. The daughter did. The daughter went to sleep, had a dream. Said in the dream she saw there was a boat on this side and there's a boat on this side. Said in this boat it looked like it was Muhammad and all of Islam. Said in this side Jesus was standing there saying I'm the Savior. Come to me. Come to me. And she said in that dream she jumped in that water went right over there to where Jesus was and got in that boat. And when she woke up she knew she had become a follower of the Lord Jesus. And she said she was crying as she told me this. She, she, she said she was able to lead her mother to Christ before her mother died. Imagine that. All your life in Islam and then lying there on your deathbed, your daughter has a vision or a dream of Jesus, shares it with you. And a little dream that didn't probably take more than two or three minutes was able to just carve through all of that life of sin and iniquity. It was amazing. One other student was telling me that when she was a younger lady, about 25 or so, and had given birth to her first child, she said she had only known about the Russian Orthodox Church, but she had a Bible. And she said she read in that Bible where it said something like, if you put your hands on people, they'll recover. That's all she knew. She, she said she never asked the Russian Orthodox priest. She said they, they were just all into the ritual and stuff. But she didn't even bother to go to church. But in that Bible, she saw that. And she really loved God ever since she was a girl. And a Muslim lady had come to her, a neighbor, and was talking to her. And the woman said to her, well, you know, I can, I can pray for you because the Muslim lady was deaf. And she said, I can pray for you if you'll let me. And she said she did. She prayed for that Muslim woman and said nothing happened at all. But she prayed that God would heal her of her deafness. But then she said the very next morning, she said that lady, the Muslim lady, was up washing the dishes. And as she was washing dishes, her ears popped open and she suddenly began to hear. Now She's telling us the story during the Bible uh, teaching time when I'm ministering on the gifts of the spirit in First Corinthians 12 and then Romans 12 and then over in Peter, they had never even heard that there were gifts of the spirit. So they sat there stunned when I was talking to them about word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, working of miracles and all of that. And they when, when I was finally when I was finished, I, I could see it was like people who had been living in darkness and getting the first glimpse of a sunrise. You know, just standing there enamored by all of it. And and nobody said anything for about a minute and a half after I was done for hours teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And finally, somebody said, would you please lay hands on us and pray for us that God would use us in that way? So we we did that and had a had a wonderful time uh, doing that. The the school, I think, is going to be fruitful. They've asked me to come back and help prepare some of their other students for that. They, they told me that it's not just the Muslims that are the problem in Kazakhstan. It's the Russian Orthodox Church. They said, you get outside of the main city, Almaty, where I was. And they said, you go into those small villages and say, those Russian Orthodox priests will shut down anything that is not connected with them. They said, they'll do everything possible to stop you from being an independent church or a denominational church that's not connected with the Russian Orthodox. So I said, well, what do you folks do? They said, we're even underground where the Russian Orthodox Church is because we don't want to have to deal with the persecution that comes from them. Who would have ever thought 
that are people that claim to be connected with Christ and have a relationship with Jesus and have a name of being a Christian denomination would persecute people that love Jesus just because they're not a part of the same denomination. But that's what they're they're dealing with. Kazakhstan, they, they call it the Badlands because the, 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 the early founders and leaders of uh, Russia, going back to the mid-19th century, they used the Siberian plains to chastise and punish anybody who was a political dissident. So if you spoke out against the leadership, they shipped you off to them Siberian plains because they knew way out there it was cold and you wasn't going to get back. But Kazakhstan was founded so that it could be a place of incarceration. This is where they put a lot of prisoners and they expected people to go there and stay forever. So the people who make up Kazakhstan now, which is more than 130 or so different ethnic groups, the bulk of them are Asian background from China, Mongolia, places like that. And then you got about 30 or 40 percent of them that are of Caucasian background. Now, I think I told the folks on Sunday that in the Caucasus regions of Russia, I had no idea that Islam was the predominant religion amongst the Caucasians there. I did not know there were so many thousands of whites that were Muslim in that particular area. And the, and the, the leaders, in particular Stalin, the only way he knew that he could control Central Asia, same thing with Khrushchev, they took all of these people from the different districts and regions, shipped them off into other districts and regions to keep people from ever unifying and becoming one. Because if, if they don't trust each other along the tribal lines, even though they all speak Russia, they'd never unify, unify to resist him. And that's exactly what they did. And so they brought all of these people there. And that's why in Kazakhstan, you, you have such a mixture of the different kinds of people you'll see in marriage, different kinds of people you'll see on the streets. But you don't see a whole lot of people like me. So when I walked up and down the streets with them one day going to the store, we walked into uh, a place called Magnum, which would be their version of a, a super Walmart. And when I walked in with them and we were headed down the aisle, it just all of a sudden went quiet as I was walking past and people were doing this here. And, and, and little kids were coming up to me and, and I, I'd pick them up because, I mean, no sense in just having that awkward situation where they're just looking at me. I just go ahead and pick them up because I know they want to get close to me and then they want to do this here and rub my face to see if any of this stuff comes off. <laughs> and, but it was, a, it was a wonderful time. And I asked them, I said, how often do you get somebody up here that's black or of African descent? They say every few years we might have one or two that will come to the university. They said it's a rare thing to have somebody with darker skin up here. So it was an interesting, interesting time. The church services were very, very fruitful. Now They're long, and I don't know if you would really go in for a three to five hour church service, but they told me, they said, we want you to preach the, the 10 a.m. service and the 2 p.m. service. So I was already prepared because my, my friend Jim had told me, he said, now, Daryl, they, they, they like to sing and they like to sing a long time. 
I said, okay. And so I said, well, are you going to get dressed? He said, oh, no. He said, last week I did it. You have to do this alone this time. He said, my energy level isn't what it used to be at 70. So he said, I'm staying back. I'll preach the night service. So we got to the church. And sure enough, there are just people everywhere. And uh, they were working on the main sanctuary. So they had us in the youth hall and then the overflow. And, and I was walking through shaking hands with people. And they started the music. They, the pastor took me up to the front row. And there I was by 10.05 at the front row. And then I noticed after a few moments, the pastor disappeared. He just went on out the, out the door. And so like they started the music and everything in there started dancing and praising God. And they were singing, having a wonderful time. And, and I didn't know what I was saying. I certainly didn't understand what I was singing. But, you know, and, you know, when in Rome, do like the Romans. So I just got in and I'm dancing. Everybody, I'm jumping around, smiling at them. They're smiling at me. 1130. Pastor Darrell is soaking wet and he's still bouncing around and dancing and praising God. Twelve o'clock. The pastor finally comes and makes a few statements, turns the service over to me. And being the pastor that I am, I'm thinking who in the world wants to be in church this long? So I, I ministered with the, you know, the interpreter. If you're going to do a 20 minute message with the interpreter, it's going to be 40. See, so if you're going to do a 30 minute message with the interpreter, it's going to be an hour. So I, I, I'm already prepared for that. So I ministered my word about Christ, about Jesus, about salvation. And uh, there were people that reconciled to the Lord. Hearts were made right. People came down, wanted prayer. They wanted God to do in their heart and life what the Lord did in Acts chapter 2. I prayed for all of these people. So by now, it's probably, I want to say, 1.15 or so. Now, the, the next service is supposed to start at 2. I go out the foyer, and the uh, pastor makes a statement somewhat to the effect that Pastor Darrell's going to bless you who want to be blessed. So I heard my name and I looked around the corner. He's waving for me to come back in. I go back in and there, there, there forms a line of people. And so I start laying hands on people. They come up, tell the interpreter what's wrong. Translator tell me. I lay hands on people. First couple of people I laid hands on, everything was just nice and quiet. I laid hands on one person. person screamed and just fell backwards into the arms of somebody else. And I'm telling about a hundred people jumped up and got in line (laughs) and wanted prayer. And I told Tiffany afterwards, I think some of these people got in line and out of line twice. Because this thing would never end. I mean, just lay. I mean, everything came through that line. Blind eyes, deaf ears, crippled people, folks with paralysis. People had no feeling at all in their arms or their legs. They're all standing there with laying hands on people. I'm watching people as they're crying, as they're weeping, and people just having the time of their life. And when I finally got out of there, at maybe 1.55 going on 2 o'clock, I had to go upstairs, change my clothes because I was soaked. People from the first service learned that I, that was the Russian speaking service. They learned that I was speaking in the Kazakh speaking service. Many of them didn't even leave and go home. They went, stayed right in the Kazakh speaking service and we had to do it all over again. 
So in that meeting, the Kazakh folks, they dance and praise the Lord just like the Russian speaking services. Only this church had a different pastor. So again, they came up to the office. They brought me down. They took me to the front row. They started to praise and worship. They were having a good time. The pastor walked out again of that service. So here I am and 315, 330, pastor is still. I'm moving a little slower now as I'm dancing. And, and finally, they, they make the introduction for me. And then I preached. And again, these people wanted hands laid on them to pray. When I finally got out of there, Jim had even made it from the compound to come preach his six o'clock service. And we were starting to go on over into to his service. But there was a lady who was living uh, with a man out of wedlock and just was crying in that meeting and came and wanted hands laid on her. She said, I'm, I'm going home to make this right. And, and uh, she was just really weeping about that. And to think that God had touched her heart regarding that really, really blessed my, my soul. The, the young people in that Kazakh service, they came up at the end and, and their hearts were so touched by the message. They just wanted me just to pray a general prayer over them. Here were kids that just like me growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I prayed, said, God, if you can just help me get to the nations of the world and go to different places, I'd just be so pleased. And they had prayed the same kind of prayers. Just help me to be able to get out of here and just do whatever. So to, to ask God to bless them was really a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, the uh, people found out that my birthday was coming up. And so they, I, I learned later, it was Jim who, who originated this idea. And he told them to put together a special birthday party Daryl. And so the, the, the students had this, this whole elaborate scheme, just like you tricky people around here. And, and uh, one of the little 17-year-old translators came and said, uh, Pastor Daryl, I've just got a few questions about the Bible. Do you mind answering them? I said, oh, sure. Come on. Just sit down. Let's, let's talk. And I'm answering all these questions. And then in the middle of my conversation, she just, in perfect English, you know, she just said, okay, we're done. Come on, we need to go. I said, what, what, what are you talking about? We need to go. She said, we need to go. We got to go into the, the classroom. I said, well, what's going on in the classroom? Well, you just come into the classroom and you'll see Pastor Darrell. So I walked into the classroom and all of the students were there. The leaders of the church were there. Uh, some of the administration of the training center were there. And the host family was there with their children. And here they had butchered a horse and here laid out on that table was more horse meat that I'd ever seen in my life. And it was all laid out on a bed of noodles and they had cut up some carrots and had some onions and all kinds of spices. And I mean, the aroma was absolutely amazing, Brother Steve. You would have loved it. And I don't know how long they cooked it and prepared it, but I do know it, it was as nice as pot roast. I mean, it was tender. 
I loved it. They had all kinds of salads and stuff out there. The, the, the cuisine in Kazakhstan is, you know, you, you would like it if you're a carnivore and a meat lover. You like it because they one of their little proverbs is the, 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 the number one, the number one meat eater in the region is the wolf. And number two is the Kazakh. See, and so they, they love their meat. There's no doubt. It's the only place I've ever been where people breed dogs to raise to butcher. You know, same way you'd see somebody dealing with goat and sheep and everything like that. Uh, they, they didn't have any problem at all. So they, they asked me if, uh, if I wanted some dog, and I said, no, thank you. And they, they, they asked me, they said, well, how, how do you like this horse? I said, this, this horse is amazing. I've never had anything like this, but don't do it again. Yeah, don't, don't, you don't have to do this with me again. Now, if, when Tiffany goes, then I guess they'll, they'll, they'll do that then. But one of the ladies asked me in Red Cloud, they said, Pastor, how can you eat all of this stuff? I mean, they, they just put everything out there and you eat it. And I said, well, if you know... You're only doing it once on the trip. You know, it's not that bad. I said, God can help you make it through just about anything. But it, it turned out well. And uh, that is the, the land of shish kebabs. If you love shish kebabs, folks, I'm telling you, they've got plenty of them there. And the night they took me out to a restaurant and they had all these big, huge skewers that came out with these big, chunks of meat on them and I had a choice of everything from uh, the they had the horse of course they had the dog they had the beef they had the veal and of course I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the thing and I'm asking do you have chicken you see and, and they had the chicken so we we took care of that but I, I thank God the Lord got me there safely and he brought me back and I thank God for the the, the souls that were encouraged the believers that really were set on fire, uh, the people that didn't know God who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And, and I look forward to hearing the stories of some of these young people that go out and start these churches in Muslim territories. It, it's hard for us to imagine uh, what um, a lack of freedom really is like, you know. Uh, I think the, the final thing I say to you, for people who are really enamored with socialism and communism, they really ought to go there. And they ought to get a glimpse of how these people had to live. The newer sections of town have beautiful buildings, beautiful homes, different types of homes, different styles of homes. But you go into the section of the city where a lot of the older people live who who never really wanted to renounce communism and socialism and see those homes. You see the apartment buildings, every apartment, same dimension, same size. Everybody has a kitchen that's no more than maybe five foot by six or seven feet. Everybody has a, a refrigerator that's no higher than just a few feet and about like that. That's how it was by law under communism. Everybody had to dress the same. Didn't matter if you owned a factory or if you were a school teacher or if you were a janitor. Every child had to wear the exact same clothing. Everybody made the exact same salary. If you worked two hours a week, if you worked 80 hours a week, the money was the same for every 
one. And to see how many of these people today are so happy to be out from under that system, I can only wonder why anybody today would want to try to take us into something like that. And I told uh, Pastor Thomas and Pastor Yerkenbeck after they shared with me what it was like growing up under communism and socialism, I said, you haven't told me all of this. I'm going to make sure whenever I talk about my trip here, I'm going to tell it all across this nation that that's not the kind of system that we need here. You see, Uh, whatever anybody else may think about that, I just don't need you telling me how big my refrigerator needs to be. And if if I want to eat this kind of meat, I don't need you telling me you don't want me to have two hamburgers a week, but I only need one per month. I just want to be able to eat whatever I can afford. And I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful way to live. So all across this earth, we've got different cultures and and, and different types of people. I think the, the more we see different cultures and people, it makes me bigger. It makes my heart bigger. When I come back and I share it with you, it enlarges your heart and your conception of the world also. So the next time you talk to somebody about Central Asia, you'll be able to explain to them, well, Pastor Darrell went over there. I can tell you, here's what he said they're dealing with and what some of those folks are like. Their traditions are different. Well, they, they, the lady uh, who was hosting me, the wife, she told me that in their custom, the firstborn son and the firstborn daughter, when they have children, they have to give their firstborn child to the grandparents to be raised by them. Think about that. That, that, that. They said that ensures there's a connection between all the generations. And it also makes sure that as grandma and grandpa get older, they still have somebody younger around there to kind of help them do stuff around the house. But can you imagine if some of you parents had to give up your firstborn or your only kid to go to the, uh, the grandparents? I mean, there's probably a handful of you probably been glad to give up your, your kid. But, you know, there, there's, there's other people wouldn't have wanted to do that. So that's a, that's a custom and culture that's different. They also, from a religious perspective, a lot of ancestral idolatry, a lot of prayers to the dead, People that go out to the grave sites to pray to their deceased relatives with the belief that these folks can hear on the other side. You can see why the gospel is powerful, folks. And when Jesus said, go and teach all nations, he knew that even in his time, there were cultures and customs that most people would find repugnant. So how can anybody be so superstitious? It's because it's the way of the world. People want something to believe in and they want to have something they can put their faith in. We've got to take the gospel to as many people as possible. We're able to do that because of your support and because of your belief and your trust in us. And I don't have a doubt that we'll continue to share the gospel and minister to a whole lot of people. Amen. How many of you glad to be raised in America? You know, oh, my goodness. Isn't this amazing to be in a nation like this, just to be able to have a Bible and take the Bible out in public, to be able to stand out on the street corner and talk to people about Jesus freely without having to wait for them to inquire about what you believe. To be able to have an open air meeting if you want and not have to worry about going to jail. Amazing. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for allowing me to make that journey. And we're happy about the, the, the wonderful effects that were had upon those people as the gospel was preached. I know, Lord, you touched and healed and saved a lot of people. And God, we're asking you that in the future, when we have to make our way back over there, that our time with them would once again be rich and fruitful. And meanwhile, we ask you to continue to lead us to pray for all of those folks, faces we have never seen, faces we won't ever see, but faces that yet are in my mind and a people group that they've have now learned about. So God, I pray that Central Asia would see a multiplication of disciples over there. I pray there'd be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Let your churches thrive and flourish. And Father, I pray one by one, they'd all trample upon that serpent that wants to keep false religion in charge over there. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen.